I want us to consider this evening giving your all for Christ. Even if that means sitting in a hot room for an hour. I comfort myself by the thought that there are plenty of believers all around the world who would wish that a little bit of heat was the worst of their problems. Well, in Mark chapter 6, we have these verses 1 to 13. Uh, and at verse 13, it concludes there with Jesus having sent out his disciples, the 12, with instructions that he's given them. And then Mark completely changes scene and at verse 14 gives us an account of King Herod with regard to John the Baptist. And it actually includes all the details about how John the Baptist met his death as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That section is not our concern this evening. Having dealt with that issue as if waiting while the disciples go and do what they have to do. Let me tell you about this event that took place while we're waiting for them to come back. At verse 30, we're back with the disciples again, who are sometimes referred to as apostles. Of course, the 12 would, minus Judas would become the apostles of Christ. And they tell Jesus everything that's going on. And Jesus has this little uh, communion with them. And this time of fellowship together. And I want to just use this section from verses 7 to 13. And then looking at verses 30 and 31. Um, just to consider this issue of giving your all for Christ. Because that's what these 12 men in particular were learning to do. Uh, Judas Iscariot would not finish the race, of course. Was he ever in it from the, from the beginning? But the other 11 would. And uh, they're beginning to learn what it means to give your all for Christ. And I want to mention three things. The first is this. Simplicity of life and presentation when it comes to gospel ministers. Simplicity of life and presentation. The twelve are being prepared for apostleship. These are they, minus Judas Iscariot, to whom Jesus will initially hand over the reins of leadership within the church when he returns to his heavenly father. You can read all about that, of course, in the opening chapters of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. These men will be the first leaders and evangelists in the New Testament churches. And he sends them out in twos. There's no place for flying solo in the work of Christ. There's no place for prima donnas in the work of Christ. He sends them out in twos. Now it's interesting, isn't it? In the Old Testament, when you read through the Old Testament, God very frequently raises up one man. Sometimes he raises up one woman with just one. And that person's going to be his spokesperson. He's going to use that person to lead and guide, to teach, to rebuke, uh, 
All kinds of names can immediately come to your head. Abraham chose just one. Elijah, Elisha, all the other prophets. The judges, just one. But in the New Testament, we see that pattern broken. And it's broken consistently. As churches are led by leaders in plurality. The Apostle Paul began life as a Christian on his own. He began his early ministry, of which we know very little, on his own. But when it was time to begin his real work, identified and accepted by the elders and the church in Jerusalem as the apostle and evangelist born out of due time, who would go to the Gentiles with the gospel, his normal method was never to go alone. He always had people with him. Sometimes he had a small team of people. Sometimes we're told of, of one or two, Silas, Barnabas, who were with him. Never went on his own, not intentionally anyway. His instruction to Titus was to appoint elders, plural, in every city. And that principle begins here, as Jesus sends out the disciples in twos. With another alongside you, you have someone to encourage you when you need it and to rebuke you when you deserve it. There is companionship. You're likely to work harder and more faithfully and with greater diligence when you have someone with you. There's an accountability one to the other. Each acts as a witness for the other in all that's being said and done. There's much wisdom in this for all kinds of reasons. And they're to set off with just a walking staff in their hand, with the clothes that they're wearing on their back, don't even take a spare coat, and just with the sandals on their feet. They're not to take a bag with provisions. They're to have no money in their pockets. Off you go. They're to accept the first hospitality, hospitality that's offered to them in each town. Regardless of what it's like. Perhaps you can imagine it. Maybe you've been in this position yourself. I have once or twice. Um, you arrive at your final destination and it's dark, late into the evening. It's pitch black. You can't see anything. They certainly wouldn't have done if it was evening time. No street lights back then. And in the morning, as the sun rises, you get the very first look at where you're staying. And they discover that they're staying in a very dodgy place indeed, right opposite the Hilton Hotel. You're to stay in your dodgy place regardless of the lure of the Hilton. Because gospel work is not about you and what you can get out of it. Gospel work is not about you and your creature comforts or your convenience. Gospel work is about being ready to give your all, regardless of what that may mean. 
because it's about the cause of Christ. It's about saving the lost. And the pleasantness or otherwise of your living conditions is irrelevant compared to that. And the manner of your conduct is not an insignificant thing in gospel work either. Stay wherever a place is offered. Be thankful. Show your gratitude. Thank your host. Thank your God who's provided this for you. And just be content. We, we spoke about contentment on Wednesday evening because it's in Hebrews 13. Be, just being content at what God has given you and provided for you. And he, he does this with these men. Compare this scene in verses 8 to 11 of Mark chapter 6 as Jesus gives them their instructions and as they head out with nothing but the gospel. Because that's the point, isn't it? The only thing they're taking is the gospel. And they go out with the gospel. Compare that scene, perhaps, if you can in your mind... <clears throat> to some of the grandiose surroundings that you've seen in some churches. Or perhaps what you know of some of the big name preachers who feature on TV <clears throat> and then return to their multi-million dollar mansions in their multi-million dollar private jets. These 12 are a million miles away from that the simplicity of what these men are called to do you see at its heart the gospel and gospel work is simple and Jesus wants us to keep it simple these are simple men of modest means with no worldly resources if you and I saw them today we'd probably struggle not to think they were barking mad. But they're trusting in Christ. And they're being obedient. And they go out with nothing but the gospel. And Jesus intentionally sends them out like that. And they return from their gospel work in the same condition. Why? Why? Because they are to have one focus only. They're not to have anything about them which might in any way hinder the message or may be seen as being necessary to prop up the message. The message they're carrying is all that the people need. The message that they're carrying is the one thing that they need to take. It's the message that they're carrying that God is going to use to win the lost to himself. The only thing they need is a mouth with which to speak and a godly life to live. Because they've been appointed by Christ. They've been sent out by Christ. They've been empowered by Christ. And that's all that matters.
They have no props. They have no portable stage. They have no music and flashing lights. They have no warm-up band. Just a message. Because that's what the gospel is about. A message. A message of salvation. A message of truth. There is to be nothing about these men that could have a claim in contributing to their results in any way. It's the spoken word and the power of God. That's all that's needed. Because that is enough. And that is Christ's chosen means. There's much to ponder here. There's a lot to consider. As well as the commands and the exhortations in the Bible, there are patterns and examples. And we show ourselves to be extremely foolish and maybe even very arrogant if we ignore them. They're there for a reason. Every word on every page in the scripture has a point and a purpose. Every detail that is included is there for a reason. There are things that we need to know. Do we suppose we know better than Christ when it comes to the work of evangelism? We know that God's ways are not our ways. We find it very easy to quote the verse, but we can all too easily find ourselves disagreeing with them and even abandoning them because we think we've come up with something that seems more reasonable in our finite little minds. But it's simple. Supposed to be simple. Keep it simple. There are no apostles today. Their unique work was done 1900 years ago. But the principles and patterns remain. And the message and the method remains. Part of their apostolic appointment was the casting out of demons. The healing of the sick. And Hebrews 2 in verses 3 and 4 explains there that Christ's message of salvation was confirmed by those who heard him. And that the miraculous signs that they performed were God's means of bearing witness by the Holy Spirit. In other words, these miracles were God's authenticating mark on these men. These men are after the footsteps of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul emphatically states that the work of the apostles, along with the prophets, was to lay a foundation. So that situation with the apostles was a temporary thing. It was always meant to be a temporary thing. While the foundation was being laid. And the foundation having been laid. Primarily in the completed scriptures. And in the establishing of the Christian church. There is now no need of those authenticating signs. So we don't have to worry for ourselves. About that aspect of their appointment and their going out because in other places in the word of God it makes it clear that we don't have to worry about those particular things today they were unique to the apostolic age 
but simplicity of life and presentation. Godliness, contentedness, faithfulness, and nothing which detracts from him receiving all the glory. These are the things that Christ is looking for in his churches and in gospel work. And secondly, we see simplicity of message. The gospel is not a this will warm the cockles of your heart message. It's not what it is. There's plenty of other things you can turn to for that kind of emotional lift. The gospel is not primarily a this will make you feel good and help you cope message. Now, there are things in the gospel to warm the heart. Of course there are. But first... As we thought about this morning, the heart needs to be transformed from stone to flesh. There is something about being a Christian which feels very good, or at least there should be. And definitely gives you strength to cope. Strength to cope with things you never imagined you could cope with. But first, and your greater need is to be born again by God's Spirit. And to be born again. You need to repent of your sins. And that's the message that the disciples took out with them. It's the message that Jesus has been proclaiming. Surprise, surprise, he gives them the same message. Nothing has changed. The message begins with the sinner as a sinner in the hands of a righteous and angry God. Then the message proceeds to Christ. And the love and the grace and mercy that is offered to sinners through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is pardon, there is forgiveness, there is redemption. There is cleansing, there is restoration and there is reconciliation. But from what? From sin and its awful penalty. The gospel begins with the need to repent of your sin. And if it doesn't start there, it is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not the gospel of the twelve. That's where it begins. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Never mind all the difficulties of your current circumstances. Never mind all your worries and upsets. Never mind the lack of purpose in your life. There is something of far greater consequence than any of those things. There is a God before whom I must one day stand. And having lived my life as a sinner, spitting in his face and trampling all over his word, on that day when I stand before him, if I'm in my sin... I will be judged and I will receive every condemnation my sins deserve. What a filthy, worthless, wretch of a man I was before I met Christ. God was pushed out of my life. I was at the centre of everything. And even all of my worries, upsets, 
lack of purpose in life even. It's all about focusing on me with no thought or room or place for God. But there's this glorious message that these disciples took out. A message of pardon and forgiveness. A message of redemption and cleansing. A message of restoration and being reconciled to God which has been established through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this same God who would judge me in my sin is abounding in compassion and mercy and grace. And he put his own son in my place at Calvary. And he put his own son in my place in the grave and he put his own son in my place as he was raised to life again so that I too may be raised to everlasting life and in Christ all my sin can be washed away and I can be made whole again do you know that for yourself? The simplicity of the message. Repent. That you may receive by faith. All that Christ has for you. Number three. Simplicity of devotion. And here in verses 30 and 31 of Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered back to Jesus. We're not told how long they'd been away. Maybe it was just the day. Maybe it was several. Maybe it was weeks. Told him all things, both what they'd done, what they'd taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Just me and you. Come on. There were many coming and going. They hadn't even had time to eat. I think these verses are wonderful. The disciples come back to Jesus and they gather around him to report back excitedly everything that's taken place. Excited, animated, as they give their own accounts and as they listen to all the other pairs. And at the centre sits their Lord and Master. How delighted he must have been, how much joy this must have given to Christ as he sees these men having embraced the task that he's given them setting out with faith and coming back full and wholehearted with enthusiasm for the things that they've seen God do. And we have a wonderful little insight here into the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Did Jesus not say that although we are as slaves to him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Have these men not just discovered the very heart of what that means? As they return exhausted but so full of joy? There will be dark days ahead, very dark days. But what important lessons they're learning. And what important lessons we can learn if we have a mind to. 
And we notice that they almost instinctively realize that they have an accountability to Christ. He surely is their head. And they his servants. So they come to him to tell him all that's been done. They've been about the Lord's business. It's to him they must give an account. And what tender care Jesus has for them. He's not a tyrant slave driver with no thought or care for their welfare. He can see they're exhausted. Come aside. Rest. The place for rest is after toil. But if you've been toiling, rest is legitimate. That's good to know, isn't it? God rested after his work of creation. Take your rest when you need it. Rest is valid. Rest is legitimate. But recognize that it has a legitimate and valid place, which is that it is to come after you've been toiling and laboring. There's a difference between rest and being a slob rest after your labors and what toil this has been for the disciples they've been so committed to the task that Jesus has given them they haven't even had the time or opportunity to stop and eat now some of us have genuine duties and responsibilities which will prevent us really from ever being able to give ourselves in the manner that these 12 did but quite a lot of us have no valid reason for not doing so at least now and again I wonder have you ever known what it is to give yourself so fully and completely to the Lord's work to be so committed to the work of the gospel to be so immersed in it you don't even have time to stop and eat is that not something worth thinking about wholehearted whole of heart commitment to Christ have you ever been there for him Not all of us can. There are various things which genuinely hinder some of us. There are some of you who in the past have. But the frailties of older age are now limiting and restricting. Not so easy anymore. What about the rest? What about you? Is not the example of these 12 something that we ought to pause and consider and ponder? Does the gospel mean sufficient to you to put yourself where the disciples were? Does Christ mean so much to you that you are ready to put yourself out completely for him? Now, the twelve weren't living like this all the time sometimes they had to go back and fish again 
So this wasn't 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of their lives. But there were times and there were seasons when this was called for. Are you ready for those times and seasons when God will require of you this kind of whole of heart commitment to Christ and the cause of the gospel? Could you see yourself where the disciples are? Would you see yourself there? At the feet of Christ, pouring out to him in prayer the places you've been, the opportunities you've had, the people you've spoken to, the conversations you've had about Christ with others, and then just lay them all at the feet of the Saviour. What a wonderful thing that is. What a great thing we're witnessing here in the Scriptures. What a great thrill it will be to come back from something like this and share it with the church. How excited we ought to be. Rejoice with you. Go to prayer over what God has been doing. And to pray God's blessing on those gospel seeds that have been sown. These verses are a delight to me. To see the simplicity of the Christian gospel. And the simplicity of life that God requires from those who will be his servants. We're to blame for often making it so complicated. We're to blame for often burdening ourselves with plans and strategies and schemes which are found nowhere in the Bible. Jesus kept it really simple. Just go. Just you. Take the message. Go speak. A simple life. Presenting plainly the gospel. A simple message. Which needs no man-made adorning. A simple devotion. To a wonderful saviour. Who is himself so gloriously devoted to you. Being a disciple of Jesus simply looks like that.